What is big? At UCF, being big provides options. Big creates opportunity, and Big offers more than 80 accredited online programs and certificates that fit your life no matter where you live. Ranked as one of the nation's top 15 online programs by U.S. News & World Report, UCF Online is more than just convenient, it's life-changing. To apply or search for degrees, visit ucf.edu online. From the University of Central Florida's Center for Distributed Learning, I'm Kelvin Thompson. And I'm Tom Cavanaugh. And you are listening to TopCast, the teaching online podcast. Hey, Tom. Hey, Kelvin. How are you? You know, uh, I fear to partly sweaty. <laughs> it is uh, is once again summer in Florida. Oh, I just was thinking in this little closet this here. Little closet, yeah. <laughs> What's how do you measure humidity? Is there? A, it's not a humidifier that takes out humidity. Hu, humidity meter. Humidometer. Humidometer. Yeah, something. we need one of those because boy, it gets <laughs> gets a little. <laughs> there are probably actual you know meteorology scientists or somebody listening to this who are just cringing at our <laughs> ignorance. On so many topics, yes. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's funny. This this room that we record in, which is a great facility, mm-hmm. um, it's great in every respect except in HVAC, apparently. It really is. I mean, we were looking just a minute ago, and, like, there's an air vent and a return, and why isn't it cooler in here? Yeah. Well, it keeps the sound nice and quiet. We don't hear the hum. Oh, maybe that's it. That must be it. Our producers went out one time when, after the building was built, like, kabam! Let's <laughs> block that stuff. That could be it. Well, I hear you uh, just diligently stirring yes. proof into your coffee. Was, over yeah, there. I'm whitening my coffee. <laughs> uh, thank you for pre-pouring You're before welcome. we kicked off the episode. Yeah. So, um, what am I? What am I diligently stirring at this moment? Well, there's there's a lot of proof, and yeah. then <laughs> not as much as you think. Okay, and uh, and some coffee. Uh, before I tell you, Tom, first. A word about coffee reputation. Oh, dear. Okay. Single-origin coffees. I've been thinking about this lately. Single-origin coffees are a bit like higher education. (laughs) There are so many wonderful, unique, and tasty coffees from around the world. While they cost a bit more than your pre-ground blend on the grocery store shelf, they're generally quite affordable. But then there are what I've begun calling, get this, I'm going to trademark it, the Ivy League of Coffees. Oh dear, okay. Single Origin Kona from the Big Island of Hawaii and Single Origin Blue Mountain from Jamaica. Undoubtedly, these Single Origin Coffees can be quite good, but their cost is, in my opinion, disproportionate to their excellence. It's easy, you believe this, I don't know if you know this, it's easy to spend four times as much on these Ivy League coffees than other quite excellent single-origin coffees. All right. So Ivy League coffees. So um, I know you're probably going to say more about this, but yes. I guess I will interject. Um, yes, please. <laughs> Take a breath. Yeah. Yep. Well, maybe two thoughts. One is that um, you're clearly saying that the Ivy League schools are not worth their sticker price. Um, <laughs> I didn't well, say that. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> one could infer. Okay. Um, and then the, the second thing is that um, I guess if, you know, not to over-deconstruct your metaphor. Yes. Um, but part of the Ivy League uh, appeal is its exclusivity. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm not sure these coffees 
only have a, you know, whatever, 2% <laughs> ability from anybody who wants it to get it. Yes. But I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with it. Yeah, please do. Yeah. So what am I drinking now? Well, so today... Which Ivy League am yes. I drinking now? Hmm, <laughs> it's a lovely Cornell. Uh, well, yes. <laughs> well, don't get too excited because today's coffee is a Blue Mountain blend. What? <laughs> so, After all of that? So here's the deal. But I was getting some fancy I coffee. I know. That's it. So I did consider last night purchasing the single origin Blue Mountain coffee, but I found myself just staring at the price tag for several minutes. <laughs> okay. and, I, and I picked up the bag and I looked at it and I smelled it and I put it down and I walked away and I came back and I looked at it some more and I just couldn't convince myself to spend six times wow. the price for the single origin as I ended up spending for what you're drinking, which is uh, the blend. <laughs> on my plebeian unrefined palate, six you're not gonna waste times. that money on me. Six times, wow, Tom. that's a lot. It is. So as a reminder, blend is coffee code for, quote, approximately 10% of this coffee comes from the place it says on the label, unquote. That's Kelvinese there. So while unlike the Jamaica Me Crazy flavored yep. coffee from yep. back in episode 49, some of the beans that you're drinking actually come from Jamaica. The great majority of that coffee sources back to Central and South America, though. So I think it's a perfectly fine tasting cup of coffee, in mm -hmm. my opinion. But the mm -hmm. Blue Mountain on the label might lead some to believe that it's better than it actually is and might lead some to spend more money than, yeah. in my opinion, they should. That's why we need our coffee sommelier, Dr. Kelvin Thompson. Yeah. I think it tastes fine. I thought so, too. I think it's terrific. So that's the house, the coffee. So... You know what we're talking about today, Tom. I do. And How's I actually, the connection? Yeah, the connection's good. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's, it's, oh. Could, could somebody record this? Yeah. Play no, it back. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and just a comment on the, on the broader topic of, you know, Ivy League and uh -huh. reputation and stuff. Mm -hmm. so, so I have three college degrees. I've got one from a top 50 private yep. university, yep. one from a for-profit, yep. and one from a large public Research University. Because you figured diversify your portfolio. That's right. <laughs> and I'm going to set the for-profit aside. Uh -huh. um, but the, the private um, school and the large public school, mm -hmm. I don't think, based on what they, car they each charge today, uh -huh. that the private school is you know, X times a better education than the public school. Even though the price tag is X times more. It is. It's, uh -huh. it's a lot higher now than when I went there. Uh -huh. And, and um, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely, um, I think, uh, a matter of reputation. Mm -hmm. And you charge what you can get. Now, the for-profit, that's a whole different yeah, sure. discussion. Um, and it was, it was much more transactional, utilitarian, and mm -hmm. frankly, in my experience, the Quality was entirely dependent upon the faculty member teaching that mm -hmm, course. Mm -hmm, some were mm -hmm. good, some not. Yeah, sure. So, um, all right, your connection, I get mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. um, we are once again mm -hmm. once back again. in the Bermuda Triangle, I mean, the Iron Triangle. <laughs> we never leave the Iron no, Triangle. No, we're stuck in the like. Iron Triangle. Um, but we're talking today about the bar called affordability. Affordability. Yeah. I'm in favor of affordability. Quality, cost, and access. Cost equal affordability. Yes. Another another word for it. Mm -hmm. And um, trying to find value and and um, and make things uh, affordable for people um, yeah. in, in the wonderful world that we call higher education. One area that has been particularly difficult when it comes to affordability is in uh, course materials, mm -hmm. textbooks. 
and this whole initiative of textbook affordability. Mm-hmm. We haven't really talked about it in mm-hmm. the past, and we may have touched on it, but we certainly haven't dug mm-hmm. in. Today, get your shovel. Because we're digging in. <laughs> okay. I got it. Yeah. I'm going to dig in. So we're going to talk about textbook affordability. Um, and I, I guess our plan is to talk about what we are trying to do here at UCF. And it mm-hmm. is very much in the early stages of a larger strategy. And the hope is that by talking about what we are doing, it's mm-hmm. extrapolatable. Yeah, sure. If that's a word. Yeah. Um, to kind of broader contexts and what others are doing. And everything that we're going to talk about today, we recognize that there are others in the country who are way ahead of us. Yeah. Um, so we get it. We yep. know. Um, but we're going to sort of talk about where we are. And hopefully uh, it, this will be something that um, will be useful to the people that are listening. And, hey, if you, you've got a great thing that you're doing, boy, we'd sure love to hear about it and, you know, bring you on, let you talk about it and, and share those good ideas. So topcast at ucf.edu. Send us a, send us a message. Absolutely. So how do you want to do this, Tom? All right, so um, maybe I'll start by kind of painting the broad picture. Paint us of, a picture of our via audio. Our strategy, yeah, a word picture. Hmm. Um, so in the past, we've talked about uh, our accessibility strategy. Yeah, we had this this kind of visual metaphor of a Parthenon. Yep. Well, picture something similar. Yep. For uh, textbook affordability. Mm-hmm. So textbook affordability is sort of the umbrella that sits on top of everything. Mm-hmm. And underneath that are pillars holding it up. Yep. And I'm just going to kind of go through them quickly and then maybe we can dig into them a little more a little more detail. Yeah. So uh, one pillar would be first day access. What is first day access, Tom? We'll get to that. Okay. Sorry. Uh, the next one would be e-texts, basic uh-huh. electronic texts, digital materials. Yep. Uh, the next one would be open educational resources, or as we like to say, OER. OER. Or. Or. I've never actually heard it called OER. Me either. <laughs> Let's not do that. <laughs> it sounds like a bunch of goobers. Yeah, that's right. Um, the next pillar would be library sourced materials. Ooh, that's intriguing. Want to yes. hear more about that one? And then the last one is something that um, maybe only people in the state of Florida know what we're talking about uh, affordability counts. Affordability does count, Tom. It does. And then, kind of underneath all of that as a foundation is uh, promotion and outreach, yeah. uh, specifically to faculty and students. Yeah, cause just because um, you're doing great stuff doesn't mean that it's uh, disseminating through the enterprise. That's right. And, um, and I think there's a certain amount of external uh, communications that are part of that because textbook affordability has become a policy issue. It has shown up in legislation. Legislators are talking about it because they're hearing from their constituents about how much textbooks cost their kids at college. And all you need, right? We've experienced this. All you need is one anecdote. Doesn't even need to be actually factual. (laughs) And it crystallizes quickly. uh, (laughs) This is not a hypothetical example. (laughs) It really is. Uh, Someday if you're near me in a bar... (laughs) Buy me a drink, and I'll tell you. I'll tell you that story <laughs> at a crazy. board of governors meeting. That's crazy. Oh my gosh, I'm having flashbacks right now. <laughs> First day access, Tom. First day access. That's a better story to tell. Sometimes called inclusive access. Yep. And the idea behind it is that on the very first day of class, students will have access to their electronic materials, whether that be books or courseware or some combination thereof, and um, it just shows up in the course. They don't have to go through some e-commerce portal. They Mm -hmm. don't have to go to the bookstore. It's just in the course, and then it gets charged to them on their student account. 
Mm-hmm. So they would pay for it just like they would pay for everything else at, at the university, whether that's your tuition, your fees, your housing, whatever, your meal plan. Um, and it could be um, you could apply your financial aid package against it, whatever, you know, if it's eligible. Um, you, it, it guarantees access on the first day and eliminates that barrier of, um, of kind of the hassle of purchasing it. Mm-hmm. So this does a couple of things. Um, it makes it cheaper for students because the adoption rate is very high and the publishers are willing to discount the, the um, per unit cost of those materials mm-hmm. because they're almost guaranteed, and in some contracts they are guaranteed, certain percentage adoptions. Mm-hmm. So you're trading off um, a little bit of margin on each, on each unit in order to get a larger number of units. Careful, your MBA showing. <laughs> That's right, um, and it, you know it's a good deal for them, and it's a good deal for our students because they end up getting um, they get uh, cheaper materials. Um, interestingly, I wonder if I should go here. I'll go here. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I believe Florida is the only state that requires <laughs> opt in, and um, I, I might be wrong about that, but I, I'm. Uh, I'd love to be corrected, but most states, Mm -hmm. they have to provide an opt-out option for students on first-day access. So so you're doing this good thing for students, and it's like, hey, we're just going to do this, and if you don't want to play, fine, take yourself out, but otherwise, we're going to take care of you. Otherwise, you're getting it, and you're getting billed, unless you tell us otherwise. And if you know nudge theory and, um, you know, theories about people who sign up for their 401k and other kinds of things, or health insurance, if you just give it to them and make them take an action to not take it, the adoption rate is very high. Of course. Because we're all lazy. (laughs) No, that's part of it. (laughs) Um, It's like over 90%, something like that. Sure. Well, Florida has an opt-in statute. Because we wouldn't um, want to force people to do anything yeah. good for them. I should actually probably check. Um, I know that that statute was up for consideration. Oh, that's right. Um, I actually don't know where it stands. I Our don't legislative either. session just ended. Yeah. Uh, I should have known that before I walked in here. Yeah. Anyway, at the moment... Um, we're going to pretend that it's status pre- quo. Yeah. <laughs> Which requires our students to take an action to, uh, to you know, join the, the First Day Access uh, program. Which is a... a Tougher nut to crack. It is. You, yeah. Um, you, you kind of have to explain to them what it is, the value proposition, and get them to, to do something. But uh, we've done a pilot yep. on it uh, this semester. As I said, there are schools and um, systems around the country that are way ahead of us on this. Mm-hmm. Indiana might be the best you know, mm-hmm, alpha mm-hmm, case, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. there are others. I, I go to presentations at conferences all the time, and mm-hmm. I am impressed by what others yep. are doing, community colleges and universities alike. Um, and we had a... I don't know, seventy-seven percent, something like that, adoption yeah. rate in our really, pilot. Hi, really high enrollment yeah. course. Yeah, really outstanding faculty member, Dr. Carolyn Messiah. Yeah, she's she's awesome. worth a shout out, right? Yeah. Everything she does is wonderful. I'm pretty sure. But yes, a lot of that was her selling. Um, we helped every way we could, but seventy-seven percent opting in is mind-boggling. First time, students yes. didn't know what it was. No, and. Um, and, uh, you know, we took that as a win. It's only going to go up. Yeah. So we're pushing first-day access very aggressively. Um, the moment we're recording this, um, we're about to go into our summer semester mm-hmm. here in 2019. And um, we've got a, n- a number of courses lined up for summer and then several dozen in yeah. the fall. Um, we've been doing a lot of outreach with faculty and, and working with our publisher partners who have been great um, to kind of get this going. And so we think that this will do two things. 
this is an affordability episode. So obviously our goal is to save students money, significant yeah. amounts of money. Yeah. We have, you know, 68,500 students. That's a lot of students. Yeah. And I think we can save them millions and millions of dollars in the aggregate. Sure. And that's, that's not trivial. Right. On the other side, getting your materials delivered to you, mm-hmm. no muss, no fuss, um, so that you have access to them on the very first day um, has to improve your, your chances of success. One would think. Yeah. Uh, we know from surveys that we do here on campus that 60% of students, I may have this number wrong, but I think it's right. That's 60% about right. of students have s- said that, have, that they have not bought the materials for a, a course because they cost too much. And I've seen various surveys like that, different places. Mm-hmm. And I mean, every context is a little bit different, but it's funny because several of them have hovered around that 60% yeah. number. 62% I saw oh, at another place. It, it just breaks my heart because... It's crazy. You, Sad. You, you, these students are investing all this time in this course and this money and tuition, and they're hamstringing themselves um, because of because of cost of these, of these materials. And we want them to be successful. Absolutely. And, and if we can give them their materials at a lower price um, in the LMS, then, um, then we're going to do it. Yeah. And like you said, that's just a, a, a good thing. Saves money and in, you would think increases the likelihood of learning yep. and success. Absolutely. Those are good. So that, I mean, that touches on two bars of the uh, Iron Triangle, um, you know, the kind of uh, cost and quality yeah. um, angles. Um, okay. So maybe I'll do e-text and then you do OER. Sure. So I think e-text is pretty, is pretty straightforward um, beyond just first day access. Mm-hmm. Making uh, materials available to students in a digital format uh, in a kind of ubiquitous way um, has to uh, save them money because we know that um, digital materials cost less than printed materials. And most of these students are not keeping their books. And if they want to keep a book because it's their major or something, then they, they have that option. Mm-hmm. But um, if they're not going to, which, as I said, most of them don't, Let's give the, give them what they need in a digital format at a significantly reduced price through some sort of ebook reader platform, and we have one here, and um, it has to make it cheaper for them. Mm-hmm. And that really that is as much about just reducing the cost as as anything. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's a scale play for us because we don't have to convince faculty to pick a different book. Mm-hmm. We don't have to ask them to pick a different like platform Mm -hmm. or something. It's just you keep using that book from that Mm -hmm. publisher that you like, that your course is sort of structured around, and we're just going to make sure that the students have access to it in in multiple formats. Mm -hmm. So that's e-text. That's e-text. So open educational resources. Open educational resources. So you could argue that in most cases, uh, OER, open educational resources, are a subset of e-texts. Technically, you could have print open educational resources. There are organizations like OpenStax out of uh, Rice University. Um, If I remember right, the last time I looked, you can, it's generally um, electronic, but they have an option. If you wanted to get like a print uh, version, you could. Mm -hmm. I've seen some other university presses who've offered things like that because, you know, they allegedly some students just want, and I believe that, uh, a, a print thing. But mostly it's, it's electronic. So yep. in addition to the, the um, access uh, affordances that you mentioned, not only is it cheaper, it's like, you know, generally free. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and thank you for drawing that distinction because when I was talking about e-text, I was talking about just straight up publisher yep. materials, yep. not 
not the kind of o- yes. OER that you're talking about. Yeah, um, but technically, e-text would include both uh, right. branches right. there, but I think often we do think of it as publisher stuff. But open educational resources, wonderful if you can get the cost down to zero yeah. or even like some kind of a minimal um, you know, courtesy uh, fee or something, that'd be great. Um, I think the challenge we're seeing there is there's a, OpenStax is maybe a good example. A lot of um, big uh, general education program kinds of rollouts, uh, open educational resource initiatives, where you could maybe get a chemistry 101 kind of a, or econ 101 mm-hmm. kind of a, a textbook. But the higher you go up, uh, upper division, undergraduate or graduate, a lot harder to find your yeah. your your edge case OER uh, resources. So it only goes so far. And then you know sometimes faculty are like I I would like periwinkle. <laughs> you know yeah. it's like I have a friend one two years ago said periwinkle that was not in the 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 Crayola box I had. I only had eight colors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't even know what that color is. Yeah. And so you get you get all these idiosyncratic. Uh, choices for faculty um, adoption of textbooks. And OER, I think, um, obviously has the the biggest impact because it goes from from something to nothing in, of course. in most cases. But it also, I think, is is one of the highest lifts, the biggest lifts. Because exactly right. you got to go faculty to faculty, as I've that's described right. it. It's like taking every hill on the battlefield. Well, and, and so, again, that idiosyncratic thing, right? Uh, gosh, if you don't like it, you're going to pass. Yeah, and I've heard faculty, um, you know, complain about the the level of rigor in some of the these quality. open, yeah, quality in some of these open materials. So, um, you know, finding something that meets their expectations and uh, course objectives is sometimes a challenge, and and sometimes even though it might be free to acquire, it isn't free to maintain. Uh, free like a like, like a puppy, right? Not like beer, right? Exactly. <laughs> Because, <laughs> um, you know, we're working with um, uh, press books yep. uh, for a number of uh, a number of titles and um, just maintaining that platform and using it and having somebody trained in it and getting faculty trained. Um, it's an investment. Yep. Yeah. Library right. source materials. Why don't you do that one? Okay. Uh, I think I've got this right. So, you know, I've actually had students who say, hey, you know, is that is 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 version X of this text really required because you know I got I got version Y out of the library and you know money's tight right now can I just use that I'm like well you know there are some differences you're, you're welcome to give it a shot right what am I going to say right but the idea in that case that student was using the library to source their materials and that's a, a very simplistic version of what library source materials are where the library provides access via physical media or digital media that they own and can allow access to students. So it um, helps students avoid the cost of acquiring materials themselves um, because the, universe, the university's already acquired it as part of the library's collections. How's that? That's, yeah, that's exactly right. And, and this began um, as a very straightforward comparison. Mm-hmm. We looked at the bookstore list and compared it against, and by we, I mean our library. Yeah, not us. Yeah. <laughs> not me personally. Yeah. They, it's them. They were yeah. doing great work. They're yeah. also leading our OER initiative. Yeah. This is a, a multidisciplinary partnership, this yeah. textbook affordability For initiative. Sure. Um, but they compared the book list from the bookstore with what they actually pay f- licenses for in the library. And there was, if you drew a Venn diagram, there would be some overlap between these mm-hmm. two circles. And in that overlap, they said, 
let's just tell students that mm-hmm. these things are available for free to them mm-hmm. through the library license. So that's where it began. And now mm-hmm. we're trying to be a little more intentional about it mm-hmm. um, to see if we can acquire things through the library that could be used in courses. Um, so that's sort of like the next phase. But um, just asking the question, are we already paying for some of this stuff, um, yeah. led to that to that kind of a win. It's really kind of a genius uh, thought. Yeah. Make a difference. And then the last but not least pillar? Affordability counts. So we got to give credit to our friends at Florida International University, Joseph Raquel May and, mm-hmm. and his team, um, for coming up with this. Um, and they've they've expanded it to others within the state university system. It's a great idea. Yeah, and we've signed on. Um, so kind of in a nutshell, I probably won't do it justice, um, they have uh, uh, identified courses or have faculty identify courses where the cost of the materials is $20 per credit hour or less. Mm-hmm. And if they are, then they become part of affordability counts. The faculty get some recognition. They get mm-hmm. a little badge. I mm-hmm. think they get some like a, a letter for their promotion tenure file. I think there's an event. Yeah, they do. They have like a little party, uh, mm-hmm. like a banquet or something, mm-hmm. uh, and recognize these faculty for uh, kind of going above and beyond to try and save students money. And then they they um, kind of uh, escalate these uh, these courses that have reduced course uh, materials prices to students through an interface on, mm-hmm. on the web. And so they've been doing this at FIU um, and have expanded it to others within the system. And, and we're signed on mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. a part of this because I, I think it's great. And it's like a whole database of, of right. these now across the state, these courses. And that's kind of cool. Yeah. Affordability counts. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think um, I think that becomes a, a piece of the pillar as well. So a lot of the things that we've just talked about, whether it's first day access, e-text, OER, library source materials, could become a part of affordability, affordability counts. counts. Another nuance on that, because um, you just, thank you, uh, listed those from kind of left to right, those pillars. The first one, first day access, and the last one, affordability counts, set those aside for a second. The middle three, e-text, OER, library source materials are all about faculty adoption of course materials. Yeah. First day access and affordability counts are more meta. They're more system systemic kinds of issues, um, initiatives that at scale allow us to really uh, change the culture and uh, through promotion and outreach and, and otherwise. Yeah. You look at first day access, when you're a large institution with a lot of adoption of the learning management system, mm-hmm. first day access makes a real difference potentially. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know Carolyn said that she had students in her course saying, um, uh, how come the rest of my courses don't have this? That's right. And then affordability counts. I think there, you can't underestimate the power of, of that recognition and call out and drawing attention. I have, a, you've heard me tell the story. We have a um, colleague and instructional designer, John Rabel, who uh, he and I had talked for a while about this course that I was teaching and how expensive the textbook was. I'm like, yeah, I need to try to do something different about that. One day, he printed out a f- digital photo of the shelf card in the bookstore with the price tag on it <laughs> and just left it at my workstation. Oh, mic drop. <laughs> and I picked it up and I walked toward him later in the day and I just I, I held it there. I looked at him. I looked at it and I shook my head. I'm like, all right, fine. I got to do something. I Good can't, for John. I can't unsee Public this. Public shaming is a very effective strategy. But, but I mean, really, there, I think a lot of us uh, who teach, we're not in direct yep. awareness of the of the price tag. And so affordability counts is great in that it draws attention and it and it celebrates heroes. Yeah, and I think it's changing though, because I, I keep hearing stories from faculty or from instructional designers who work with faculty that 
uh, that the fact that you do not, do not want to pick certain choices, whether it's courseware or a certain platform or it's a book or something, because of the of the price. Yeah, um, they're they're going to some other strategy or some other some other choice. Um, Which those some others could be those middle three pillars. Absolutely, right? e-text, yeah. OER, library source materials. So there's no silver bullet when it comes to textbook affordability, um, at least not in our view, as we're yeah. kind of in the early stages of what we think is an institution wide strategy. Multifaceted. With these, yeah, with these multi layers, we're working with our faculty center for teaching and learning, our library, our center for distributed learning. Um, it's it's really across the campus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're hopeful that this that this will move the needle for affordability for students. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe maybe that's a good transition for the for the bottom line. Why don't you try to bottom line it for us? Okay. So uh, making textbooks and other required course materials affordable by students is definitely an important part of increasing access to higher education by everyone, and making education more equitable. Mm-hmm. So we need to continue to identify and act upon strategic efforts that will reduce the functional costs for students. And as yes. we said, um, also as a byproduct, we think that we expect to see student learning gains because they actually yeah. have the materials. What a concept. Yeah. yeah so we'll keep that. you posted if, yeah. uh, if things develop or change as time goes on uh, with our, our um, textbook affordability initiative. Um, We've got a website we've got under construction. If yep. it's up by the time this we'll put it in drops, the show notes. we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, for you sure. Check it out. Absolutely. We have uh, time for like one shameless plug. Sure. Why are they always shameless plugs, Tom? <laughs> I think that's a reflection on us, not them. Oh, okay. That's good. <laughs> um, our colleague Shannon Riggs, uh, who is Executive Director for Course Development and Learning Innovation at Oregon State University's eCampus, left the following review on Apple Podcasts recently. She said, I've been binge listening to TopCast, and I'm finding many useful insights and takeaways that have me thinking about my work in online education more deeply. What I am also finding, though, is that Tom and Kelvin seem to derive and share real joy in this work. I find the podcast very inspiring. Inspiring. Wow. That's nice. That's awesome. Thank you, Shannon. That's that's really yeah. kind. We appreciate that. We've got we got friends at Oregon State. We do. Katie, Katie Linder has been on yeah. the show and a couple times. Lisa Templeton. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So, well, she hasn't been on the show, but she could be a friend. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And you, dear listener, you could be on the show. That's right. <laughs> Just send us a voicemail, and we'll put it on, and possibly a case of coffee. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not that we're possibly. The... That's shameless, <laughs> that right there. Shame. I'm just, I recant, <laughs> retract. All right. Well, uh, I think we probably uh, need to get off the plane. We've landed it. We just need to get off. It's now. got a bow on it. Yes. That's right. Well, until next time for TopCast, I'm Kelvin. And I'm Tom. See ya. See ya.